thank you for downloading this podcast from Gaimere Baptist Church. You can find out more about our church at our website, gaimerebaptist.org.au. May God speak to you as you listen. I'm assuming that you're all familiar with that motivational poster, Keep Calm and Carry On. You've all seen that or some version of it, right? Keep Calm and dot, dot, dot has become the most overused poster form, I think, in the world at this point in time. But I don't know if you know the story behind the poster. It was actually one of three posters that was commissioned by the British government in the lead up to World War II. The first two posters were used during the war, but this last one, Keep Calm and Carry On, never saw the light of day. Uh, It was uh, being held in reserve for when things got really bad, which tells you something about British people because, I don't know if you've seen pictures about World War II, it was pretty bad, but uh, they didn't think it was bad enough to bust out this third poster, and so it never actually got used. Fast forward to the year 2000, and a, uh, the owner of a bookshop that used to be a train station went into one of the storerooms of the old train station and found this poster, Keep Calm and Carry On, the kind of classic red, the whole kind of bit, and thought it looked great, got it framed, hung it on the wall in the bookshop, boom, instant success, uh, it's now everywhere you look in all sorts of variations. But the simple idea about keeping calm and carrying on it would actually be a fairly decent topic or heading for the passage that we're looking at today. James begins to conclude his letter in, in chapter 5, starting in verse 7, uh, and uh, his theme, as you heard in that section that was read for us, is quite clearly patience, isn't it? He says, be patient at the beginning, talks about the example of a farmer who's patient, says that you should be patient again, says here's another example of patience and suffering. I think we get the point. So we want to take some time to think a little bit about patience and what patience is about, uh, particularly what James is calling us to here in this section. But before I do that, let me just kind of clarify something really important about patience. Most of the time when you're told to be patient, it's usually in the context of waiting, isn't it? Uh, And so we can tend to think that patience is actually a really passive activity. It's like sitting there waiting for the light to go green or sitting there waiting in the doctor's uh, waiting room or waiting in some line to get served or to get a table at the restaurant. And we see it as just this passive sense of standing in line and shuffling forward every time someone moves, and that's kind of all you do. That's the extent of it, which is actually not a very good way to think about patience. You see, patience has a couple of synonyms, uh, such as endurance and perseverance. And both endurance and perseverance are a lot more active, aren't they? Uh, You endure to some end. You persevere to some end. And patience is much the same. Patience always has an outcome that you are actually waiting for. You exercise patience while you wait. So while you are waiting for the light to go green, you are exercising patience. Now, those sorts of things, you don't really grow a lot of patience, right? That's not really that big a deal. But once the light turns green, your patience has paid off, hasn't it? Right? And you get to go to the next light 100 meters down the road and and wait there uh, for a while for it to turn green and whatever it might be. But there's some things that we, we kind of work through in our life or that we wait for that are much bigger deals, aren't they? You might be waiting uh, to actually finish your degree. You might be waiting for that opportunity at work when a manager might move on or an opportunity might open up and you can step into a more senior role. You might be looking for the opportunity to, to go overseas. You might be looking for the right opportunity to just get into something else. And the thing about patience when you're waiting for those big things is that you are active. 
Ron, if you expect to kind of climb the corporate ladder, if you expect to kind of move up in your role, in your company, or whatever you might be, you don't just kind of sit there and just twiddle your thumbs until something happens. Because if you do that, nothing is going to happen for you, is it? Well, you kind of start going to conferences, and you start meeting other people in the roles that you'd like to see, or you start thinking through what's going to happen when you finish your degree and start looking for jobs and all of those sorts of things. You're actually active while you are waiting, but you're still exercising patience. So the question that we have to ask ourselves when we come to this section of James is, what is the end, what's the outcome that James wants us to be patient about? Does that make some sense? He's not just saying, sit there and be passive, right? If you've learned anything over the last 11 weeks listening to the stuff about James, James is not into passively sitting around doing nothing, is he? He's very much into action. Show me your faith. You say you're wise? Well, show me. You think you're a teacher? Show me. You you tell me you got faith? Well, show me. Show me, show me, show me. So it would seem strange that here, James would all of a sudden say, just sit down and do nothing. Right? He's got some, some sort of activity in mind, some sort of outcome that he wants the congregation that he's writing to to work their way towards. And so we have to kind of unpack the passage a little bit in order to make sense of what he's calling us to be patient about. Does that make some sense? So what we're going to do is we're going to have a bit of a look at these few verses. And uh, if you have your Bibles with you, soft cover or whatever, soft copy or whatever, have a look at it. Because this section is also really typical of James. If you've been here for the last 11 weeks or some of the 11 weeks, you might remember that I've said on a few occasions that James is is kind of notoriously difficult to follow. Uh, He kind of jumps from topic to topic to topic, and most commentators, biblical scholars who kind of write books on James, have a hard time following his logic. It made sense to James. It probably made sense to his first congregation. Not so much for us. And this is kind of classic James. So kind of follow me, follow with me on this if you can, and I'll show you what I mean, but also try to work out what it is that he's talking about. All right, verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. All right, so this is where he begins. Now, to some degree, you could translate that as, be patient therefore, brothers and sisters. And if it's be patient, therefore, then you want to go back to what he's just said, right? Because he's just said something and then said, because of that, be patient. You still with me? What he's just said is that those who have a great deal of wealth are getting ready to cop a hiding from God if they don't repent, right? We looked at this last week, a wonderful cheery passage for anyone who has too much money, right? Uh, Where God basically says, you got too much stuff, it's going to testify against you in the last days, you fatten yourself for slaughter, on and on it goes. In which case, then, James shifts gears here, doesn't he? And it's almost as if he says, be patient, those of you who are poor and oppressed by the rich people, because the Lord is coming and those rich people are going to cop it because they haven't actually repented in time. You with me so far? That's how it seems to begin. And then James uses an illustration, which has absolutely nothing to do with anything he's just said. This is typical James. So if he's just talked about the judgment that's coming on the wealthy people so that the poor people don't have to worry, they should just be patient, this is his illustration. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. There is nothing in that illustration about judgment. 
There's nothing in that illustration about waiting for justice. There's nothing in that illustration that even suggests that it's talking about the end times. If you wanted to go end times in, in any place, you'd probably want to talk about harvests or sickles or threshing things. That's kind of good biblical language for the end of the world, right? Not waiting for rain. That's, you don't find that in the book of Revelation, for instance, right? John doesn't say, and then I saw a guy waiting for rain, and I thought, oh, it's the end. And there's a reason for that, because it's not. So James has shifted gears. Be patient, because the Lord's coming. Oh, look, there's a farmer. He's waiting patiently for the rain. Right. Then he goes on. You too, like the farmer, should be patient. Right. So are we waiting for judgment, or are we waiting for rain? And is that a metaphor? Right? You, you follow me on this? And you see why James is hard to follow? Commentators love it. Well, they have a lot of fun. I'm not sure you would count it as fun, but they think this is a lot of fun, right? Trying to work out what James is getting at. Now, here's our first clue about what's going on. He says, you two be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is drawing near. Now, the, the little phrase, stand firm, you could actually translate that more literally. Uh, we tend not to because it doesn't make as much sense for us, but the language in the Greek would be literally strengthen your heart. Strengthen your heart. And this is not about kind of, you know, increasing your cardio and increasing your strength. The, the word strengthen is a little bit different. It's not about strengthening or increasing your muscles as much as it is about establishing or fixing something. Think about, think about a fence that's kind of all wobbly and, you know, and if, it, if the wind blows, it's kind of all over the place and you wanted to strengthen the fence. Well, you might put a couple posts on the other side, right? Drive them into the ground and, and establish it, fix it in place so that it doesn't move anymore. That's the image that James has about the heart. Now, if you've been following along over the last 11 weeks, James has been very, very keen to make sure that as people, we're not wavering back and forth. He doesn't want us to be double-minded. He doesn't want us to be double-hearted. He doesn't want us to want the kingdom of God, but also the kingdom of the earth. He doesn't want us just to want what's good for others, but also for ourselves. He wants us to be unified in our heart, in our mind, towards the things of God. That's what he's calling his, his congregation to. And this language then kind of links to the very beginning of James. So stay with me on this one. Chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James here gives us this first little hint that he's not just talking about chapter 5, verses 1 to 6. He's actually talking about the whole letter. That when he says in verse 7, be patient then, he's not talking about what he just said. He's talking about everything he said. He's concluding. He's beginning his conclusion. Everything that I've said, be patient about everything that I've said. And he's actually said quite a bit, hasn't he? Now, let me just kind of continue on before I come back to that. He says in verse 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. So here's the language of judgment, but not where we expected it. The rich people aren't copying it. It's the people in the church who are copying it because they're grumbling against one another. And the language is about grumbling in the face of hardship. Mentioned this a number of weeks ago when we looked at the tongue. And, and James talks about the power of our speech. Remember, you know, we talked a bit about the fact that when things are going well, when everything's winning, when everything's kind of shiny, it's easy to get along with other people, isn't it? Dead easy to get along with people when things are good. As soon as things get tough, what's one of the first things that happens to a group of people? 
stress fractures begin to form, don't they? All of a sudden, when things get tough, we find out what our relationships are really made of. James has already talked about that in relationship to the speech that we use, how we talk to one another. So he's stitching this back to the wider tongue context. He then references the, the example of the prophets. He says, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Typically, James, uh, he just kind of leaves it at that. He doesn't tell us which prophet he meant. He doesn't talk about which circumstance he meant. He just says, just take the prophets and think about that. So we think about it. The prophets, like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel, were united not only in the fact that they spoke the word of the Lord, but how they were responded to. There were uh, four or five typical responses to the prophets, kind of in order. First, they got ignored. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, right, was the response of the people. Secondly, they were ridiculed or mocked. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, right, but more sarcastically. Uh, The third response is that they were falsely accused of undermining their society. This is the word of the Lord. Some other bloke sent you to undermine everything that means anything to us. Fourth, they were then thrown in prison or flogged or in some cases killed. James is making a point here, I think, about the early church who were the representatives of the word of God and were sometimes, like those everywhere who speak the word of the Lord, who stand for the word of the Lord, ignored, rejected, ridiculed, accused of doing things that they're not actually trying to do, or opposed. James says, look at this, just be aware of these sorts of trials, these external forces that are upon you. And James has talked about that in the rest of the text. He says, as you know, we can't bless those who have persevered. If you have a look in chapter 1, verse 12, he basically says, blessed are those who persevere because at the end, having endured, they'll receive the crown of life. He uses the same kind of language. Then he talks about Job. You've seen how Job persevered and what God wrought out of that. Now, Job's an interesting kind of bloke to kind of pick on from the Old Testament because if you've read the book, he doesn't actually, he's not very patient. He complains quite a bit all the way through the book, which is not quite what James is getting at. But Job was also a very, very popular figure in first century Jewish thought. So popular, in fact, that a number of leading rabbis had kind of composed devotional expansion packs on Job's life. They had taken some of the things that the book of Job talked about, and they'd kind of expanded on it for the purposes of teaching. And there were two things in particular that they focused on in the life of Job. One was his patience, and the other was the fact that he was charitable, He gave lots of money away to lots of people. Those were the things that people thought about when they thought about Job. Job was also suffering, not because of external forces, but because of the work of Satan. James has spoken about the power of Satan in our lives. He's talking about the importance of being charitable. And again, he returns to this issue of patience. Do you begin to see what James is doing? What he's actually kind of calling us to, as he kind of begins to conclude this letter, is he's actually calling us to remember everything that he's just talked about. Remember, you know, we've taken, this is 12 weeks that we've taken to get through this. Uh, If you receive a letter from a friend, does anyone remember receiving letters from people? Like a few of you do, right? A few of you. If you get a letter, it's not the same with the text, but if you get a letter, you don't read it in over 12 weeks, do you? Like you wouldn't sit down and go, oh, I got a letter from one of my best friends. And you read the first paragraph and put it down and go, that's a lot to kind of take in. I'm just going to leave that for a week and uh, discuss it with my friends in my Bible study. Uh, you would read it all in one hit. So we have taken, we've kind of gone through James in a very odd way. The first congregation would have received the letter and read it all in one hit. 
So imagine, you've just kind of been reading this through. It wouldn't take that long to read out loud. 20 minutes? 20 minutes you've been listening to this whole letter being read from someone who you deeply respect in the faith, someone who wants you to grow and develop in, in, in your faith. And now he says at the very end of that 20-minute patch, be patient, and starts listing all these different words that he's already talked about. This is kind of James's way of asking us to review all that James has said. He wants us to be patient, to endure in order that we might become complete and mature and perfect. The same words he used at the very beginning. But as I've already pointed out, patience is not a passive term. So James has already told us what he wants us to do, doesn't he? He's told us to watch our tongue and watch our attitudes towards money. He's told us to be careful to make sure that our faith is evident in our actions. He's told us to be careful that if we just listen to the word and don't do it, we're not doing it properly. All of these sorts of things that we're to do while we patiently wait for us to become perfect, complete, mature, wholehearted, single-minded, the very path of discipleship that we've begun as we follow Jesus. And it's interesting, I was thinking about this a bit during the week, and you know, before we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we're actually wholehearted, aren't we? We are wholeheartedly against God. We want what's good for us, we want what's in the world, we want the world, the outcomes, that's, that's our entire focus. And when we begin to follow Jesus, our heart gets broken. And suddenly our heart is in two different pieces, isn't it? Because now while I still want the things of the world, I've actually been introduced to the things of heaven. While I still want the things of this earth, I've been introduced to the kingdom. While I still want what's good for me, I've now been called to follow Jesus who only did what was good for others. And the process of discipleship, of being a follower of Jesus, is to get to the point where our hearts are once again whole. James says, be patient then. That's, that's the goal. That's the, the green light. That's the job opportunity. That's what you're waiting for. Exercise patience within it, but don't be passive. Endure, persevere, work away at it. Get at it. And why? Well, he opens this whole section with a why. Because the Lord is coming. Now, when Jesus returns, and the early church believed this, we still believe it today. When Jesus returns, there will be a judgment. It's interesting, though, that James doesn't talk about it. There'll be a judgment on those who persistently uh, disobeyed and walked away from God. But for those of us who follow Jesus, we too will be judged. Which is kind of intimidating, isn't it? But what's the nature of that judgment? How is God going to judge us? We tend not to think about it much because it's intimidating. Let me, let me give you an example of what I think might be going on. Uh, most of you know I teach at Moreland College, and usually around week 12 or 13, near the end of semester, I give my students the white-hot tips for success in exams. Uh, things like watch the time and answer the question, things that you never would have thought of on your own, right? Uh, but usually in my spiel, at some point in the, in the little spiel that I do, I say this. When I mark your exam, I am not marking you from 100 down. I'm marking you from zero up. In other words, I'm not assuming you have achieved perfection, and I'm not therefore looking for all the mistakes you've made. I'm assuming you've learned basically nothing, and I'm looking for anything, anything that might suggest you've learned something over the course of the semester. Do you see the difference in that marking? 
The one is critical, the one looking for mistakes, looking for what's missed, pinging you for spelling, pinging you for grammar. The other is looking past the grammar, past the spelling, trying to make sense of your handwriting to see if there's something in there that suggests you've learned anything over the course of the semester. How does God judge us? It's kind of like patience. And we think that patience is passive. And I think sometimes we can assume that God judges us from a hundred down. No, he wants us to be perfect. He wants us to be complete. He wants us to be mature. And our obedience is really quite important. But it seems to me that the tone of Scripture, the, the, the melody of Scripture, is the melody of grace, isn't it? And I suspect... I suspect that God's judgment is not going to be a matter of pointing out what you've done wrong as much as it is about looking for any evidence that you've grown. Oh, look, God will say, your heart, which was so divided, is a little bit more united towards the things of God. Look, you thought of someone else before yourself. Well done. So be patient, James says. Be patient, endure, persevere, press on, because the Lord's coming. And if someone is looking for the best in you, don't you want to show them the best? And when the Lord comes, are we going to run and hide? Or will we come and say, I had a crack. What do you think? I think I learned a few things along the way. I've got a little bit more patience than I did before and a little bit more self-control and I'm sometimes a little bit more loving than I used to be and I'm not quite as sharp with my tongue anymore. And What do you think? It's a very different way to consider judgment, isn't it? Can I just say, I think it has some implications for the grumbling against one another. How do we judge one another? Do we hold each other up to perfection and say, why aren't you like this? Look for mistakes. Look for things that have done wrong. Or do we assume that we're all pretty broken, smashed up people? And what we ought to be looking for is any evidence that we're learning, growing, becoming more like Jesus. It's a pretty encouraging passage, isn't it? The Lord's coming. What do you have to show for it? When he arrives, when he, when he shows up, what will you have to show? The Lord. And regardless of whether you are facing Satan, external pressures, internal pressures, or just kind of being the people of God together, James encourages us to continue to persevere towards maturity and completion. But there's one other thing that I think is really quite interesting about these little verses. And that is that in nearly every verse, James makes an either direct or indirect reference to the activity of God. Now, you might go, well, it's the Bible, what do you expect? But James hasn't done it in quite this concentrated a fashion before. Well, he talks about God here and there and whatnot and makes references to the work of Jesus. But here, every single verse makes either a direct or indirect reference to God. So, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. 
Uh, in the second half of that verse, when he talks about the farmer waiting for rain, it's kind of the indirect reference to God, because in Deuteronomy eleven fourteen, God promises that he will send the autumn and spring rains. Then he comes back in verse 8 to say the Lord is coming. Then he talks about the fact that the Lord will come to judge. Then he talks about the, the um, prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, the ones who were ignored or ridiculed uh, or uh, falsely accused or imprisoned or killed or whatever it might be. And this is an indirect reference to the work of God once again because while they spoke the word of God and were ignored and ridiculed, while they spoke the word of God and were falsely accused and oppressed and killed, guess whose words were found in Scripture? Their words. That is called vindication. It is the divine, I told you so. And they received the divine, I told you so. You thought that they should just be ignored. You thought that they should just be mocked and ridiculed and kind of sent off to the loony bin. You thought that they were doing something against my will. But guess what? They were doing exactly what I called them to. James says we call blessed those who persevere. Well, who blesses people in the Bible? Well, that would be God. You've heard about Job and his perseverance and what the Lord finally brought about. What God did was he restored Job. And then finally, in kind of an allusion to Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, which is, describes the character of God, he says, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Why does James make all, make all these references to the work of God? Well, I think this might be why. Because when I say to you, God wants you to be perfect. He wants you to be complete and wholehearted and single-minded and, and, and all about him. And I ask you to endure and persevere, to continue to do the things that James has encouraged us to do, to watch the things that we say and to be careful of how we value money and to, to be active in our faith and all of those sorts of things. The temptation is to begin to try to do them on our own. Remember when we talked about the tongue? We talked about the fact that our, our words come from our heart. And so it doesn't really matter how self-controlled you are. If your heart doesn't change, your words aren't going to change. If your heart is still divided, if your heart is still separated, if your heart is not solely focused on God, then eventually your self-discipline is going to slip and you're going to say something stupid. It's going to happen a hundred times out of a hundred. We need our hearts to be changed. It's not just more self-discipline. It's not just doing more in our own strength. It's not just being better people. It's actually allowing God to do something remarkable in us. And here's the thing. James opened the letter by saying, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask. Because God gives generously to all. And here he talks about the provision of God. He talks about the coming of God. He talks about his compassion. He talks about his vindication. He talks about all the things that God does. So what now, at the end of James, are you waiting for? Are you just going to be patient and sit there and twiddle your thumbs until something changes in your life? So that's not the patience that James advocates. And if you are going to exercise an active patience, then what is the outcome? You're not just exercising patience in a vacuum. You're exercising patience to an outcome. What's the outcome? What do you want to see? And if the only thing you want to see is your manager retire or move to another company so you can go up the ladder, you're missing out on what James wants us to be growing towards. 
perfection and completion and wholeheartedness for the kingdom of God. And if you know what you're waiting for, if you know out of what, out of what James has dealt with over these last several weeks, there's something that's really struck you. What do you need from God as you endure? If you're going to persevere towards wholeheartedness, what do you need from God in order to get there? Do you need wisdom? Then ask. Do you need strength? Then ask. Do you need friends? Then ask. Do you need rescue? Then ask. Where are you going? And what do you need from God to get there? Because God is for us. He wants us to succeed. He wants us to be complete and mature. God is not trying to trip us up. He's not designing trick questions to trip us up. He wants us to succeed. And James urges us to keep calm, carry on. Keep calm and carry on towards all that God has called us to. And the strength and the power and the goodwill that God affords to us. Amen? That was a little bit cheerier than last week, wasn't it? Whew. Oh, we wrap the text up next week. As uh, Emily said, we're going to be doing a little uh, an after party. I don't know what that looks like. Who knows? If anyone knows what that looks like, there may be confetti cannons. We don't know the answer to that. I'm looking at you, Pete Gillies. Uh, but we'll worry about that next week. Let me take a moment to pray for us as uh, Ellie and the team come to lead us in a couple songs of worship. And as they do as well, just let me remind you that we'll have members of our kind of of our prayer team down the front here. If there's something that you need from God, anything, anything, uh, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, whether that's about something that's happening in your week, whether it's something for somebody else, whatever it might be, take the opportunity anytime during those songs to come down and we'd love to pray with you. So will you join me as we do pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are for us, uh, that you want us to succeed, that you want us to become mature and complete in you. Uh, and, and thank you that you offer to so generously and freely give us all that we need to achieve that end. I pray that you'd keep us from being passive and uh, essentially giving up, but that we might endure and persevere to the end. Regardless of where we feel the opposition is coming from, whether it's from the evil one or from external forces or even just from the tension of being with other people and, and, and just trying to get along with those that we're, we're walking with, whatever it might be, we pray that you might continue to lead and guide us on, that we might be people who persevere and endure with all patience until you have completed all that you promised us in Christ Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.